yesterday? Did you notice that that was true Astoria weather? And we should be thankful because we will not have a drought in the next six months because we got enough rain. I'm not ready to start yet, so let's stand up and let's uh, go meet somebody that you haven't seen in five minutes. Just go say hi. She would too. Let's go ahead and pray. Let's start this service out. Gracious Heavenly Father, we love you so much and we are so grateful that we can come together today. We are glad we get to gather together to honor you and praise your name and worship you. We just are thankful for what you do for us in our lives. Our lives are better because we know Jesus. Thank you, Jesus. And Jesus, we pray. And all God's people said, Amen. Amen. Let's worship.
is one of my favorites. The verse, your love has rescued us. The cross delivered all our hearts from fear. Our hope is here. Our hope is in Jesus. 2 Timothy 4.18 says, the Lord will rescue me. He will rescue you. He'll rescue me from every evil attack and will bring me safely to his heavenly kingdom. To him be glory forever and ever.
50 years of following Jesus, he hasn't failed me yet. He can't. It is impossible for him to fail. Let's uh, go ahead and dismiss the kids at this time. And you may be seated. We've got some announcements to go through. We've got a lot of announcements to go through. Might be 1045 by the time I'm done with the announcements. October is a busy month, New Life. Uh, fall, fall Rooted classes start Tuesday, October 3rd. If you're interested in Rooted, that's our base discipleship program. If you don't really know who Jesus is or you haven't been taught how to, how to be a good disciple, um, and maybe you've been a Christian for a long time, maybe you're not a Christian, maybe you've, you're a new Christian, this would be a great course for you. Uh, it is a class on Tuesday nights at 6 p.m. starting October 3rd. Joey's teaching. I'm Joey today, by the way, just in case you're wondering. I, I know you noticed that Joey got better looking. And a little bit older, but yeah. So that's uh, rooted. Um, and then I just messed up my thing. Uh, oh, I'm sorry. October fourth is a Wednesday night and or a Wednesday, and I'm I'm starting a men's Bible study to just for five weeks to get ready for the men's night that we're having in November. So to prep you for November, I think it's fifth. I can't remember what Monday night that is. Sixth. Um, to prep you for that, we're going to spend a, a month, and I'm going to do one class at 6 a.m. in the morning here at the church on Wednesdays. And if you can't make that one, make the 6 o'clock at night. I don't care about numbers. I just want men who want to grow in Christ and be the men that God's called them to be, to be a part of that. So that's uh, Wednesday, Wednesday morning or Wednesday night. You can flip-flop them however it works with your schedule. Uh, I'll be here. Amen. So it'll be me and you maybe. Um, we also have our first Thursday on October 5th. This, that's a busy week, I'm telling you. If you're elk hunting, just forget the elk. You don't need that. You need the, you need the meat from the Word of God. 
That's all you need, amen. I'm just telling you. And, and if you're, if you're going to be gone on those days, you're going to miss anyway just because God's not going to let you hit that animal. I'm just telling you. I'm just, he's going to say, he's gonna say well, who do you want, this, this, that rack or do you want uh, God's glory? Amen? So you're going to have to decide, you hunters. Sorry about that. I need to repent, I think. That's first Thursday. That's, we have a potluck at 6 o'clock. It's a, it's a Thursday night. We have a potluck. We have communion. And then we're going to do a... A Q&A on the Holy Spirit. So if you have questions, bring them. We're going to get the pastors to stand up here. Pastor Mark, Pastor Verlin, myself. Angelo's in Italy. Some pastors have it hard. Uh, but notice who's still here. I just want you to know. Notice who's still here. So uh, if you have an offering, uh, we have uh, three ways to give. We used to have four ways, but we cut it down to three. So just uh, if you've got an offering to bring, um, you can give through the mailbox, the giving box, or the church center app. If you have questions on that, see the the uh, see see somebody. Just find somebody. I don't know who. I got to get into the preaching, so I'm just trying to move ahead here. But but let's pray for the offering if we can, Father. I've been praying this a lot lately. I just want you to bless these people so much that they have no excuse but to not trust you with their finances. I don't want you to make it hard on them. I don't want you to make it difficult. I want you to bless them so much that they cannot deny that you are just pouring out the windows of heaven on them. That they can't do anything but make sure they give you the glory with their tithes and their offerings. Father, I know for some that seems like an impossibility, but nothing is impossible for you. You can do far more abundantly than we, what we can ask or think if we just put our faith in you encourage your hearts today. I'm just glad we're together. Thank you for providing so wonderfully. In Jesus we pray. Amen. I don't like my sermon. So I'm just in agreement with those of you that don't like what I'm going to preach today. I just want you to know, I, I get it. I, I understand it. It's been something that's been on my mind for over a year. And today is cleanup Sunday. Because next week we're going to go into five weeks of just Jesus. I'm just going to find something to preach about Jesus. We're just going to talk about Jesus, but we've got to play cleanup. So this is, the, this is the cleanup. And you know what I want to do? I want to pray. If you want, you can come ahead and uh, pray at the altar. You can pray where you're sitting. You can go wherever you want, but let's just be together. Talk to the Lord. God, you are so good. I wish, I wish we could just take more time with you. I feel like we're always rushed. Even, Father, in my personal prayer times in the morning, I feel like I'm always rushed. I just want to take time with you. I just want to be with you. I just want to dwell with you for a moment. Because my life has been so amazing since I met you. It hasn't been easy, Father, but it has been easier because I know you as my Savior. But Father, there are those that, that I'm going to speak on today that want to use your people. They want to hurt your children. 
They want to take advantage. And we just need clarity so we know what we need to do. Because Satan is very much real and wanting to hurt your children. Encourage our hearts today, Father. We need to hear from you. We, we need More than they need to hear from me, way more than they need to hear from me, they need to hear from you personally. Holy Spirit, speak clearly and loudly into the hearts of your people. Let them not deny that you are in, present in this room, that you are present in their hearts, that you are present in this place. I love you so much, and I'm so grateful that you give me the difficult task of trying to figure out how to preach your word in a way that helps people know you better. Give them hope today, please, Father. In Jesus we pray, and all God's people said, Amen. Amen. Now let's see if we can stand up. I'm listening to younger people go, ah, ah. Hey, Deborah. Deborah. Now I'm going to open with a statement that doesn't mean to be need to be negative, but because I, we've got kids in their own, I want to be careful with it. And I don't want you to take it negatively because this isn't a negative statement. It's a it's a concern, but it's not a negative statement. I was talking to my granddaughter this week, and she was telling me about school. And I said, "So did you have PE today?" She says, "Nope." I said, "Did you have music today?" She said, "Nope." I said, "So what did you do?" She said, I had counseling. Now, I'm not anti-counseling, so don't go blown up on me. I'm pro-getting help mentally. If you're broken here, go to the doctor. Amen? Amen? But one of her classes in the public school system is to teach you that you need counseling. I'm not against that. I'm going to say it again. Now, we don't know what they talk about, and we don't know what they're teaching. But counseling now is a class. And I thought about the counseling I got as a child. And, and I, I realized this. I was, this was 50 years ago. I, man, I'm getting old. <laughs> Things aren't the same as they used to be. But 50 years ago, I got counseling from my father. Who every Sunday morning, after every Sunday morning service and Sunday lunch, we would, we would go to church together as a family. We would go eat together as a family. And dad would grab my little hand. I can't remember how old I was, probably four years old. He would grab my little hand and we would go walk down into the field. And he would just talk. And he would talk to me about life. And he would share things with me. And I would ask him questions like, what is that? And would, he would always say, that's a pile of cow manure. I mean, because I... I didn't know. He just said, don't step in it. He taught me some great lessons about not stepping in, in poop, and we could all learn from that. Because a lot of us adults have stepped in a lot of it. And, and if you just would have had somebody counsel you, don't do that, maybe you would have skipped that step. When I got older, we would go to Seppa's barn. Now, if you don't know who Seppa's are, you're not from around here. But we'd go to Seppa's barn. If you don't know what a barn is, you're really not from around here. <laughs> and we would play basketball. We would shoot hoops. My dad taught me how to shoot free throws from between your legs. <laughs> That's how old my dad was. He was born in 1925 or 24, one of the two. 
So he learned basketball back in the 30s. That's how you did it back then. It was really embarrassing when I went to <laughs> shoot free throws, and I'm shooting them between my <laughs> So his counsel wasn't always good. Sometimes it was bad. But it would be just him and me, and he would talk, and, and I would listen, or I would talk, and he would listen. And it was just this beautiful time where I got my counseling from my father. I was always able to go to my dad when there was a problem. I was always, it was always uh, an open door with him. But I could see that other voices were trying to draw me away from his counsel. Just like there's voices that I want to talk about today that are trying to take you away from God. I wonder how many of you, and you're going to need to be honest and raise your hands because I'm, I'm watching this morning. How many of you had one of your parents tell you that one of your friends was a bad friend and stay away from them? Now, how many of you were that friend? I'm just, but how many of you who raised your hands and your parents said that's, you don't want to be around that kid, that's a bad kid, they're going to take you down the wrong path, you're going to end up in jail, that's what you do with your kids, you're going to tell them you're going to end up in jail, and you didn't listen, you didn't listen to them, because you didn't think your parents knew what you, they were talking about. Because you didn't believe the person God gave you in your life who should have been, should have been, not always was. Maybe some of you had bad parents. I had, I, I was raised on Walton's Mountain. It really was. Jim, I was blessed. But sometimes your parents weren't what they should have been, but they always, they should have tried to at least help you do the right thing and be with the right kind of people. See, I was the one who other parents warned their kids about. I'm not proud of that. I don't say that as like, yeah, well, look at me, I was that kid. No. But I was that kid. And just to warn you, if you're that kid, someday you'll end up right here. <laughs> I'm just warning you now. Here or in Clatsop County Jail, one or the other. <laughs> Better hope it's this. And I've been thinking about this for a year. <laughs> so it happens when you pay a pastor to be a pastor. He sits around all year thinking about dumb things like this. I thought about a specific story in the Old Testament about a struggle between a son and a father. The father was a warrior who spent most of his days, under the age of 30, spent most of his days fighting or running from a fight. He was busy, like most fathers are. Amen, dads? One day he was made king of a small nation. He got busier.
Then he fought some more to protect the nation. Got even busier. He was busy in the battle of life. Dads, how many of you could identify with that and say, sometimes I'm just too busy in the battle of life. I'm always fighting something. I'm always fighting to get the mortgage paid. I'm always fighting to to make sure my kids don't go to jail. I'm always fighting to, to help my kids. I'm always fighting to get my marriage to be right. It's always a fight. Now, this man was known as a man after God's own heart. So, he was a godly man. But he wasn't a perfect man. He failed in his faith and he failed his family. Just like many of us who have been fathers have done in our own lives. Come on, don't make me feel like I'm alone here. Like, we got busy, we got so busy with life that sometimes things happen and you're like, what happened to my kid? I wasn't able to watch them. They, they weren't listening to me when I was trying to help them. This is not a Father's Day message, but it seems to be coming out that way. His faith failure was forgiven by God, but it wasn't forgotten by his children, and it kind of messed his kids up. One dark season, a man's son hurt the man's daughter. Because of children, I'm just not, not going to say what it was. Amen. And the father, probably because of his failed past, one son hurts a daughter because of his failed past. Dad does nothing. Because he's tired, he's been in battle, he's weary, he does nothing. Now in defense of his sister... The man's son killed the son who hurt the daughter. This gets a little confusing. In fear, that son who did the right thing ran away from home. And the father's response to what happened in his family was interesting. He wept over the loss of the son who hurt his daughter, but didn't care for the son who did the right thing. Have you ever just done the right thing in your family and been treated like it was the wrong thing? Like you've done the right thing, you did, you did what was right, you said the right thing, but the family condemned you for it because they didn't like maybe the way you did it or what you said. So the son takes off. And he didn't grieve over the son who took off, who did the right thing. He grieved over the son who did the wrong thing, who is now dead. Eventually, the father allowed the son to return home, but the father neglected him because he didn't know how to deal with him. Because every time he looked at the son, he remembered what happened. He lost his other son, who he loved, who hurt the daughter, who should have been killed for what he did. It's a little aggressive. And because the dad didn't welcome him home right and didn't spend time with him and didn't counsel him and didn't comfort him and didn't encourage him, the son got bitter and angry at his dad. I got five words for you. Being a father is hard. So those of you with daddy wounds, I'm just telling you, being a father is hard. I'm not excusing bad behavior. I'm saying being a father 
is hard. So the son in his bitterness began to devise a conspiracy against his father, I guess, for a lesser term. The son by the name is, is by the name Absalom, and the father is King David. And let me just read 2 Samuel 15, chapter 1 through 6. And this is all introduction. We'll get to the sermon in about an hour. After this, Absalom got himself a chariot and horses and 50 men to run before him. Now, in Israel's day, when you were proclaiming to be a king or a leader or an authority, you would get men to run before you saying, Absalom is awesome, Absalom is awesome, Absalom is awesome. Let him be king. We'll, 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 we'll follow him. And then the, the Absalom would be in the chariot, you know, in, in, the, in the 72 Bronco. Because that's like the coolest rig ever. The rest of your rigs pale in comparison to a 72 Ford Bronco. 302, three on the tree. Sorry, I'm just, just remember, listen, remembering my past, my history. Only cool people drive those. Hey, did anybody else drive one of those 72? Oh, just me. I'm the most humble man I know today. I'm sorry. It's a joke. So he was going before them saying, look how awesome Absalom is. And Absalom used to rise early, and he would stand beside the way of the gate. Now the gate is where people would come into the city, and they would come into the city to see the king. And so the gate was where all the elders would sit, and they would give counsel, and they would give encouragement, and they would give help um, to people who came in need. And so he, was, he would sit at the gate, Absalom would sit at the gate. And when any man had a dispute to come before the king for judgment, Absalom would call to, to him and say, From what city are you? He wanted to get to know them. From what city are you? And when he said, Your servant is of such and such a tribe in Israel. And Absalom would say to him, See, your claims are good and right, but there is no man designated by the king to hear you. What he's saying is, no one, you're not going to get your questions answered. You're not going to get your, your problems solved. Not, this is the wrong place. So he would sit at the gate before the men got to the king and he would say, the king's not going to do what he needs to do. Your dad's not going to do the right thing. Then Absalom would say, oh, that I were the judge in the land. Then every man with a dispute or a course might come to me and I would give him justice. Okay. It's the kid who says, don't listen to your parents. I know what's right for you. Does that make sense? It's a kid that says, your parents are just old, and they're stupid, and they don't know anything. Just listen to me, because I'm 16 years old, and I know everything. <laughs> I'm the smartest person I know. Come on, it, am I the only one that felt that way at 16? I am an oddity. I'm learning that. I'm preaching to myself most of the time, so it's not even on you guys. It's, this is just for me. And whenever a man came to pay, near to pay homage to him, he would put out his hand, take hold of him, and kiss him. Very friendly, very passionate, very loving. Then Absalom did to all, did to all of Israel who came to the king for judgment. So Abra Absalom stole the hearts of the men of Israel. That's what I wanted to get to. 
So Absalom stole the hearts of the men of Israel. He didn't earn them. He stole them. Why is this important in this moment? And there's a couple of things, but I just want to say this real clearly. There's a, we're living in a day when there are those who are trying to steal the hearts of your children, the hearts of your spouse, the hearts of the church members of a church. They want to steal your hearts. Jude, which we started last week, and I've only got two sermons out of a whole sermon of Jude, which is, there's a lot more there, but Jude wrote, this Jesus' brother wrote, Beloved, although I was very eager to write of you the common, to the common salvation, I found it necessary to write appealing to you to contend for the faith that was once delivered to the saints. For certain people have crept in unnoticed, for certain people have crept in unnoticed who long ago were designated for this condemnation. Ungodly people who pervert the grace of God into sexuality, sensuality and deny our only Master and Lord Jesus Christ. Jude was warning of the fact that there were men and women who were creeping into the church and they're trying to steal the hearts of Christians to believe their belief system or believe their doctrine. And they would sneak in and you wouldn't know, you would think that they, they're, well, he's a super spiritual person. He stands at the door. I'm looking at James, whoops, looking at Daniel. He's standing at the door. He's up on the platform once in a while. Maybe he's even preaching. And you wouldn't even know who they were. Oh, they, they, they greet you and they're. We, we got great greeters. We got great people at the door. Don't get me wrong. I'm not sure about the preacher, but. But you wouldn't notice that they were wanting to steal your hearts. Jude warned of the danger of people creeping into the church to try to pervert the grace of God into something that was other than what God intended. And whether you see them or not, some people are creeping into your life that you think are good. But they seek to pervert you. And there's lots of ways they're trying to creep into your life. And I'm not going to get into all the different ways they're trying to creep in. I'm just trying to warn you that there are people who are in your life who are trying to creep into your children's lives to tell them what is true and what is not. There are people who are trying to creep into your marriage to steal your spouse. And there are people who are in this community, maybe even in this church right now, who are trying to steal the hearts of God's people here. And you would never think it's the person who it is. See, like David's son Absalom, I believe they all start out wanting to do the right things, but they do it the wrong way. And when they do it the wrong way, they're against God, not for him. Got a little tight in here all of a sudden, I noticed. Like Absalom, they gather people around them to support them and imagine that the chariot and horses led by 50 men proclaiming how good what they are or how good what they believe or how good their thing is. 
and they're, they're, they're proclaiming to be something that they're not. Jude goes on in, in the book of Jude and tells the story of Israel when they rebelled against God in the desert. And he talks about how Satan led angels in rebellion against God. He talked about two cities, Sodom and Gomorrah, who rebelled against God for being uh, immoral. And how Korah gathered people to him to, in rebellion against Moses. You can tell who they are because in their heart, they're rebellious. But they don't show you that out in front. Uh, rebellious against God. Our society doesn't act like they're rebellious against God. But the truth is, America is not a nation of godly people anymore. And they sit in the place of influence and they gather information about you and yours and dictate what people think. In Absalom's case, he would agree with people who complained about the king. And Absalom would tell people they'd find justice. If I were the king, you'll find justice. If, I, if you followed me, you'd get what you want. Scripture teaches these men creep in unaware. You don't even know they're there. And they say, I'll be the father your father never was. I'll be the spouse your spouse never was. I'll be the spiritual leader your pastor never was. And they steal the hearts of the people from God. And I thought about teenagers. How a whole society is sitting at the gates of their lives. Praying on their brokenness and that their fathers will sit back and do nothing. There's a whole society that's, that's, that just believes that they know what's better for your kid. Parents no more dictate what their kids believe or what their kids think because the society is telling the kids what's true and what's not. And they're saying, oh, that church stuff, that's a bunch of garbage. You don't need that. Oh, that Christianity stuff, they're just a bunch of whacked out people. Well, that might be true, but that might not be true. <laughs> See, the Absaloms are banking on your failure to fight for your kids. They believe you're so busy that you don't have the time to go for a walk with your child in the field. And dads, to a degree, sometimes we are too busy. Let the children decide on gender. What? Why are we letting them decide? They're children. I don't know about you, but I wasn't very smart until I was 35. And then it took me to 50 to humble myself because I thought I was too smart. Amen? But now I'm just right. I'm 60. And I see some things and I know some things and I've experienced some things. Let the children decide whether God is true or not. Wow, I'm so glad my dad never taught me who, whether God was real or not. God was real in my house. As for me and my house, we served the Lord. 
There was never a time there was not Billy Graham on the TV. I still, I still watch him just to remember what it was like with my dad. I hated Billy Graham when I was a teenager. But look at where I am now. And they just want to say, they just want to say, just sit back and let us teach your children what's true and what's not. And dads won't fight. You're too tired. So you need to teach your kids what a godly man looks like. What a good man. Just even don't, I don't even care if you teach them a godly man. Just teach them what a good man looks like. Well, I didn't learn that from my dad. Just because you didn't learn it from your dad doesn't mean that you can't learn how to be a good man. Teach him what a godly woman looks like. The picture you give them is what they're going to be looking for out in the world. And just, just be honest, some of you don't want your children to marry you. I'm not being mean, I'm being honest because you, you're not living a godly life and so you're going to set them up to find someone that's just like you in an ungodly state, not a godly state. Teach your kids what a godly marriage looks like. Teach them what a godly marriage looks like. How are they going to know if they don't see what, what real love looks like? What compassion and caring and and, and how a couple, I, I was telling Deborah the other day, I don't know how people go through physical problems alone without a spouse. There, there's a new thing in marriage. I just read about it this week. I'm just really intrigued by it. It's called seasonal marriage. You only have a relationship with one person. You don't have a relationship with multiple people. You just do it for a season. So when I'm 21, I need a certain kind of wife until I'm about 30, 35. Then at 35, I need a different kind of wife. So I get a different kind of wife at 35, and I have that wife until I'm about 50. And then at 50, things start breaking down, and I need a different kind of wife. If my wife's physically broken, I need a wife that's not broken. So I, it's just, it's just, it was just a season I was in until I found somebody other, that, that's not the way my wife is. That's the new thing. They're not having multiple relationships at one time. They're just having them over their lifetime. It's seasonal. You need a different wife for winter, a different wife for fall, a different wife for summer, a different wife for spring. Amen? You laugh. That's what the world's moving to. And that's what they're teaching your children, that it's not for life. God says, therefore shall a man leave his father and mother and cleave to his wife, and they should be one flesh, one. And he never leaves room for more. But we don't teach that. When we had our daughter had a liver transplant, we found out that, was it 80% or 90%? 90% back then, 90% of couples that went through something difficult like that broke, broke up into divorce. They didn't even fight for their child who was physically broken because the, one of them wanted out. I mean, we watched so many kids be brought into the hospital, left in the entryway with a nurse, and the parent would run away. No wonder the couple never stayed together. Because when it gets hard, it gets easy to run. 
Godly marriages fight through all of that. No matter how difficult it is, no matter how hard it is, no matter how messed up it is, we fight for the marriage. I thought about couples. Do you know, all you have to do is look at your phone to find an Absalom. The other day, I'm stupid. I am not techie at all. I have Facebook, but it's only, I don't have friends on it because I think it's creepy to have people that you don't know say, hey, I want to be your friend, but you never see me and know me. So I just don't do it. And if I do have a friend, I accidentally slipped in there. You slipped in there because I accidentally said okay to something. <laughs> but I was sitting on the couch the other day with Deborah, and I'm scrolling through this Facebook thing, and Facebook will tell you who to have for friends. You should have this person for your friend. And I said to Deborah, this person's half naked. Why do I want them for a friend? <laughs> Amen? Facebook's trying to tell you who to have for friends. I don't need a half naked woman. I've got one that is my wife. <laughs> I don't need another. I'm not being mean. I'm not being disgusted. I'm not I'm just being honest and saying the world wants to tempt you to click on something to get you to look at someone that's not your wife or your husband and to be drawn to them. Be my friend. I don't need you half-naked woman to be my friend. So I just got Facebook off my phone. I just I can't handle it anymore because I know I'm going to click on the wrong button and then it's going to be... They're sitting at your gates and they're wanting to steal the hearts of your spouse. Some of you have lost a spouse that way. Have you not? Some of you have gone through some of the most difficult times in your marriage because of a, a person stealing your spouse's heart from you. And they're sitting at the gate just waiting for you to look. They hope you're so broken that you won't fight for your marriage. I, I, I got to say something that's going to sound really rude, and it doesn't mean to. I have never seen a time in 25 years of pastoral ministry, and actually probably 50 years of being in church. Well, I was 60. I was in my, mom, I was in my mother's womb. She was in church, so that counts. We count all pregnant ladies as two people. I can't remember what I was going to say. It means I need to shut up. Oh, no. This, this time, day and age. I am, I, am, I am proud of the way Christians are handling affairs and, and these kind of things. How you're learning to forgive and you're learning to love. And you're, you're staying with each other instead of just splitting up. Because that's the easy thing to do. Sometimes it's the best thing for you. But I'm just proud of the fact that some of you are saying, I, I know this is wrong. I know this hurts. This is painful. But I'm going to forgive and I'm going to trust God. We're just going to fight for the marriage. I thought about the church. How many times in, in my life I've witnessed certain people who creep in unnoticed. Claiming to be pastors, claiming to be prophets, claiming to be great godly people. 
who creep in unnoticed. And they try to steal the church away from God. They could come into a community and say, I'm here to do this great thing for God. But what you're really there to do is steal other people's church members. And you say, that's not it. They're, they're about unity. No, they're not. They're about stealing people's hearts. No, they're about evangelism. Well, great. Go win lost people to Christ and build your church that way. That's not how they do it. See, now, most church members treat the pastor when he says something like that, like the father in the home that says, stop hanging around that kid, he's bad for you. Oh, dad just doesn't want me to have any friends. <laughs> no, that friend's bad. The friend's not good for you. Why do you, why do you want that friend? They're going to steal your hearts and they're going to take you someplace you didn't want to go. But no, we don't listen to that. We say, oh, the pastor, he's just worried about his, his thing. Come on now. And you're praying that the pastor is too tired to preach the truth or too broken to fight. Absalom's in every church and they seek the children of God. Unity, worship, and evangelism are clickbait, clickbait, but what they want to do is pervert the truth. And some of you will not listen to what I'm saying today because you think you know better, just like that 16-year-old child who thinks he knows everything doesn't need to listen to the authorities that God puts in his life. The Bible says elsewhere that they... No, I don't want to say that. See, what they're banking on is that you won't try the spirits to see if they're from God or not. Jude says this, verses, let's just, let's go to uh, 18, guys. They said to you in the last time there will be scoffers following their own ungodly passions. It is these who cause divisions, worldly people devoid of the Spirit. He warns the church early on that there's going to be people who are going to come in that are going to cause division. That's what they want to do. They want to divide, not bring together. They say it's unity, but it's really division. Worldly people. That means they offer you what you want. They don't offer you a spiritual service. They offer you a feeling or an emotion. Devoid of the Spirit. They talk about having the Spirit of God. They act like they have the Spirit of God. But the truth is, they just have a Spirit that you're just drawn to because they're attractive. Absalom finally gathered enough support from the people that they wanted him to be their leader. So his father was forced to flee. David had to flee. And his son became king. See, there's never a time a father stops being a father except when he stops fathering. When you stop fighting for your marriage, your marriage won't end if you keep fighting for it. Now, your spouse may choose to end it, but that's not on you. That's on them when they make that choice. 
We complain about what society is doing to our kids, but we let society lead our kids. Amen? Nobody's fighting for them. People get mad at pastors for defending Christianity because we're trying to watch over the flock. But sometimes you get mad at the pastor because he's so overprotective. Just like you did your dad when he was overprotective. Or your mom because they were overprotective. Or they just, they just go on and on. This friend is fine. No, they're not. We've talked to them. We've watched them. We've seen it before. We know some things you don't know. But they seem like a nice person. Yeah, Wolves always look like nice people. They can't get close to you unless they're nice. If they, were, if they showed their fangs, you'd be smart enough to know that's not safe. See, Absalom had no respect for authority, even God's power to determine who to anoint and who not to anoint. Absalom said he was anointed by God, but he wasn't. Once Absalom gained control, this is what he approved of. I just want you to, I just, I'm just going to read this to you. I want you to know this is what he said, or what, what he, how he changed towards his father. Moreover, that guy said to Absalom, <laughs> I tried that name several times this week. I couldn't get it. Let me choose 12,000 men and I will arise to pursue David tonight. So his the leader of his army said, let me choose 12,000 men and I'll arise and pursue David tonight. I will come upon him while he is weary and discouraged and throw him into a panic and all the people that are with him will flee. Let me tell you, this is how they work. They wait till dad is so tired or so broken or so hurt or so wounded. They wait until mom is so stressed and so panicked and so freaked out they wait until one of you is a husband or a wife. It just, you're just tired of the battle. You're just tired of the fight. Like you, you had to work all day and you had to mess with your kids. You had to fight with them. You had to fight. And they just wait till you're tired. They wait till they, they look for a broken pastor. I, I heard a, no, I won't say that. And he said, I'll strike down only the king and I'll bring the people back to you as a bride comes home for her husband. You seek the life of only one man and all the people will be at peace. And the advice seemed right in the eyes of Absalom and all the elders of Israel. A couple things here. The son agreed to the fact that his dad should die. Let's kill the authorities in our lives. The real biblical authorities, not the ones that the world says are. Let's kill the father. And Absalom said, that's, I agree with that. But you know what's worse to me is the elders of the community. The elders of Israel said, yeah, that's a good idea. Let's kill David. Let's kill the father. Let's kill the king. It's like that person. like that person who agrees with you that you should throw out your marriage don't fight for it don't fight for your marriage just throw it out 
don't fight for your kids. Just, just, they'll figure it out. No, they won't. They're children. Let's kill the pastor. We can just kill the pastor. We can do what we want. Let's just destroy him. Then let's just, just kill the father. That's a good idea. Years ago, I was a new deacon. And I was a spitball. I was the kind that would get in your eye and mess you up. If I believed that you were going against the word of God. And there was a man who came to church and he was, looked great. Tall, dark, and handsome. Could quote scripture. Sang like an angel. Wanted to get into leadership, but the pastor wouldn't let him because the pastor saw something nobody else saw. One week, he gathered the deacons together, minus me, because he knew that I would punch him in the nose. <laughs> you think I'm kidding you. I was, I was, I was a saved man, but I wasn't that saved. Or <laughs> I wouldn't punch you in the face. I, I, wasn't, I wasn't at turn the other cheek yet. I was at punch you, then I'll turn the other cheek. But I'm going to turn yours first, and then I'll give you another shot. And he gathered the men together and tried to get them to get rid of the pastor. Well, I learned this a long time ago. You don't lay your hand on the Lord's anointed. If David knew that, I keep my hands off the Lord's anointed. But false prophets don't care. They don't care to kill the father. David wasn't perfect, but he was still Abraham's, Absalom's father, Israel's king, and God's chosen authority. I'm just going to tell you, kids, your parents aren't perfect. But they still have authority over you, and they know things that you don't know yet about people. Because they've been around long enough. If they, if they have a 15-year-old, they've been around long enough, they're probably, let's say, 35. And you've been around some things, right? 35-year-olds, you've seen some things. There's no 35-year-olds in the room. Some of you are lying because you're not 40, or you're 40, not 35, but you should be claiming 35. <laughs> Your spouse isn't perfect, but... You still don't throw them out because they're imperfect. You pray for them. You pray for them and you encourage them in the things of God. You hope that they come to know Christ as their Savior because He will mess them up. He will change them. Your pastor isn't perfect. I've been doing this a long time. Somebody asked me the other day, how, do, how, how, how many people recognize the mistakes you've made over the years? Because I've stayed in one place for 25 years. That's why I wish I would have moved every seven because at least I could have left my mistakes behind and gone to a new place and been Superman. <laughs> Said everywhere I go, there's somebody that I used to minister to. Amen? But see, you still have a responsibility in how you honor him. Obey them to have the rule over you for they watch for your souls and must give an account that they may do it with joy and not with grief for that's unprofitable to you. 
What Absalom should have seen that he didn't see is essential. And this is important when it comes to people sitting at the gate trying to take away your heart, trying to steal your heart. David was a mighty warrior. David, at his core, was a mighty warrior. David, at his core, was a mighty warrior who was trained in the arts of battle. And he was broken because of his sin. He was broken because of his failure. But there came a point in time where he woke up and said, okay, I can't be this broken, whiny, complaining dad anymore. It's time to fight. Absalom was a spoiled brat kid who did what he wanted. He tried to do the right thing, but he didn't get it right. But he didn't know how to fight because he'd never fought a fight before in his life. Kids, can I tell you something? Make your dad mad enough, he'll fight for the family. Don't do it on purpose. Dads, you should be getting upset at what's being taught to your children today by those sitting at the gates, but you're letting them sit at the gates talk to your, talking to your kids. Because you won't stand up and you won't fight. You, you got it in you. Do you listen, you have been given the authority to lead your families. Moms, if you're a single mom, you have the authority to defend your fight for your kids. Stop fighting your kids and fight for your kids. Husbands, wives, you know what we need is some mighty warriors in marriages. Where you fight for your spouse. You fight for your marriage. You have the authority to fight for your marriage. Two becomes one. You don't become one and then become two and it, it, it feels good. It hurts to become two again. And I'm, I, I said it earlier and I'm saying it again. I'm proud of this generation. You guys fight for marriage more than any generation I've ever pastored. And you've got every reason why you should divorce, but you say, no, we're going to trust God and we're going to fight for this thing even if it kills me to do so. We need some Christians to fight for the church and stop fighting the church. You don't think God's paying attention? In fact, the scripture says that, that um, verse 17 of Jude, but you must remember, beloved, the predictions of our apostles of the Lord Jesus Christ. They said to you in the last time, there shall be scoffers following the ungodly, ungodly passions. It is these that cause division and worldly people devoid of the spirit. It goes on above that and says to earnestly contend for the faith that was once delivered to the saints. We need to start fighting for the faith and stop fighting the faith. We need some Christians who will stand up and fight for the word of God. Fight for the truth of the word of God. Fight for the church that Jesus said the gates of hell will not prevail against her. So if you're fighting the church, you're fighting from the gates of hell. So where are you sitting when you fight the church? When you fight your marriage? When you fight your children? Don't, 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 when you don't fight for your children? When you don't fight for the church? When you don't fight for your marriage? Our kids, I'm sorry. I'm getting mixed up. I got a little excited.
So David rallied his army and surrounded by his mighty men, defeated Absalom, David's son. And the end result was that Absalom died. He didn't have to die. He just had to get it right with his dad. His dad should have fought with him before he fought him. Dads and moms, you have an anointing to fight for your children. Fight for your children if necessary to bring them up in the nurture and admonition of the Lord. God is on your side. Well, no, the society, the, the government has so much control. They don't have any control you don't give them. They do not own your kids. They are yours. And you will stand before God and you will answer for how you fought for them. You're not going to answer for how they turned out because that's choices that they make. But they, God wants to know, will you fight for your kids? And if that means... That means you've got to fight the world for them, then fight the world. But someone's got to stand up and fight. Because what they want to do is kill the father. They want to kill the mother. They want to kill the authority in their lives. Husbands and wives, you have an anointing to fight for your marriage. God is on your side. Seasonal marriage was not God's intention. Open marriage was not God's intention. Oneness was. I've said it several times. I'll say it again. I got one wife for life. I plan on staying with her till death does she part or me part. Otherwise, we're not going to be apart. And I'll fight for us to be together. If there's a younger, better looking man, which there's very, maybe some younger ones, but not better looking, <laughs> who go after my wife, I will turn your cheek. <laughs> I'm, I'm biting my lip. I'm, that's not what I meant to say. I will fight for my wife. I'll fight for my marriage. But I'll make sure that I don't let it get to that point. Because I won't click on the bait. That's right. And finally, the anointing placed over you to fight for the church is real. Jesus himself said the gates of hell will not prevail against her. God is on our side. God said, said hell cannot destroy the church. And if you read the scriptures, you'll find that there are lots of false prophets and false teachers and false pastors and false leaders and false Christians that crept into the church unaware to try to get your heart. Where are the spiritual dads that are going to fight for the church? Or has your heart already been stolen by who's sitting at the gate? See, what side of the gate are you on? Are you the one sitting at the gate? Or are you the one closing them out of the, kicking them out of the gate? See, my theory is, and this sounds really stupid, but if fathers did more fathering, their sons and daughters would need less counseling. Most of the counseling that I've experienced in, in, in my life through people, it's counseling because fathers didn't father. I'm not blaming all the fathers. I mean, 
I'm just saying we don't do it well. We don't do it right. We don't grab our young child's hand and go for a walk with them down in a field and just talk to them about cow poop. We don't teach them, don't step in it and don't eat the corn. It's grain. You think I'm joking. I'm, we don't do that. Don't, don't do that. We, we don't teach them how to have right relationships with our, our children, with our husband and wife. We teach them that it's about screaming and getting your way and being the one on top of a fight. See, no one could steal the hearts of the children if we did more fathering. And I'm not talking about just fathers. I'm talking about leaders in their homes, leaders in the church. Jude ends with this. And we'll be done. And you'll be glad. Now to him who is able to keep you from stumbling. He's speaking about Father God. And to present you blameless before the presence of, the, of his glory with great joy. To the only God, our Savior through Jesus Christ our Lord, be glory, majesty, dominion, and authority. Before all time, now and forever. Amen. See, I think that's the goal. I think society wants to take God out of your children's hearts. I think what society wants to do is mess your marriage up and get you to not like the church, not fight for the church, find fault with it. Anytime you put a whole bunch of broken people in a room, they're going to be messed up. See, the greatest counselor is Father God. Dads, moms, you can't do it without him. You will never fight society unless the Spirit of God is with you. Husbands and wives, you'll never survive. Deborah and I just celebrated 39 years, and, and I'm thinking that's not very long because some of you have been married longer than that. Like, because some of you are really old. <laughs> Who's been married 50 years? 45s? 40 years. Really? It just you guys, you, you guys are close. I think you guys are about the same as us, 39. Oh, yeah, you've been married like you got off the ship with Noah. <laughs> At least you brought your family with you. That was good. Most people don't make it past 10. God can make it last. But you got to watch who's at the gate. Who's sitting at your gate? Teenagers? Preteens? I'm not supposed to call you that. I just did. Who's sitting at your gate? Who are you listening to? Are you listening to your friends? Which th that doesn't make them bad people. It just means, means they're not as smart as your parents, even though you think your parents are stupid. But your parents are much smarter than you think. They know some things about things that are good for you and things that are bad for you. Like a good parent knows that a peanut butter parfait is perfectly good for you. They know that. 
That's from God. But rutabagas are... No. They know some things. Husbands and wives, you know there are those that are out there trying to steal your spouse's heart. Fight for your marriage. They're creeping in unawares. They're creepy. It is creepy for you to creep on somebody else's spouse. Creep. If you're doing that, you need to repent right now. We're going to love you. We're going to forgive you, but stop. Stop creeping. And there's creeps trying to take your hearts away from the church. It's creepy. They're not your children. They belong to God. You want to get the wrath of God going? Steal God's children from his church. Don't let the wrong people sit at your gate drawing you away from your God. Let's pray. Let's stand and pray. Father, I don't think that this morning you're asking for an altar call. I, I think this was a lot. I think the idea of Absalom sitting at our gate, I, I hope I presented it well that they understood it. And then, Father, I'm trusting you to take your word and apply it to their hearts. Father, if there's somebody who's got someone they shouldn't be with or shouldn't be around or it's not good for them from a God standpoint, give them the courage to do the right thing by you. If there's somebody trying to draw them away from the church they're a part of, Father, let them be wise enough to heed the warnings of the word of God. And Father, there are marriages, and that's kind of what I really wanted to focus on more today, is if there are marriages, that there is a temptation presented that is possibly going to draw a couple apart. Reveal it to each, each of them and have them reject it by repenting of the look or the clickbait. Encourage our hearts, Father. I, I, I pray for the children of this world. I, I'm, our teachers, got, Christian teachers have such a difficult task that they can't do it alone. They need godly parents helping them. Homeschool parents need just as much help to make sure that their marriages are good so the home is a good place for them to be if they're homeschooled. Father, be with the couples. Just make them stronger. And be with the church. Let them be wise and recognize the serpents and the snakes and the, and the, the Jezebels that are coming in to hurt the very children of God so they could steal the hearts of the people. Let repentance reign today, Father. Let repentance reign. That's, I just want you to see people with a heart that says, I need to repent of my sin today.
heads bowed, eyes closed. We'll close in just a second. I just want to ask you a question. If you're a father or a mother and you need prayer in helping you fight for your children because maybe you're tired or you're busy or you just don't know how and you need help with your children. Heads about, eyes are closed. Just raise your hands. I want to pray for you. Gracious Heavenly Father, give these parents insight that the world doesn't have. Let them see the ones who are trying to steal their children away and know the right thing to say to their children. And Father, if I could add this, give their children a trust of their parents more than anything else. Even dads that may not have been perfect, moms that may not have been perfect, but they, they're trying to do the right thing by God. And let the kids see, my parents are trying to trust God, I'm going to trust them. Be with these parents, Father. Give them strength to withstand the battle. But show them victory as well. Let them see some wins. Because you've promised to help us in this fight. In Jesus we pray. Heads bowed, eyes closed. How many of you would say, Pastor Andy? Just head, every head bowed, every eye closed, please. Because I just don't want you to be embarrassed or looking around. You're having trouble in your marriage. Say, Pastor Andy, would you pray for me? Come on now, I'm having trouble in my marriage. Amen. Let's pray. Gracious Heavenly Father, we know in a marriage we're supposed to be one, but sometimes we live as one, but we live as two. We don't have the control that we want or desire over our spouse. Only you do. The spouse that we're struggling with, Father, I ask that you would reveal to the one who's fighting for the marriage what they need to get right with you. And with the one that they're fighting, the, one that the, the other one they're struggling with, Father, touch their heart in such a way that they repent of their sin and come back to you because that's what I believe every marriage needs is two people Loving Jesus passionately. So bring them that kind of love. Heads bowed, eyes closed, one last time. Struggling with church. I'm not going to make you raise your hands because I'm the pastor of the church and I don't want you to be worried about it. But let's pray. Father, I will be the first to confess that I have not been the perfect pastor. Like David, I have failed numerous times. And in that failure, I have hurt your children. My prayer is that you give them a heart of forgiveness. That you give them a heart of compassion. Because just as hard as it is to be a father in this world, it's hard to be a pastor. Father, renew their love for your church, your bride. And don't let them be drawn away by false teachers and false prophets who are trying to draw them away from the very place that you're trying to grow them in, that you have placed them in and you want them to develop in. 
Again, Father, I'll say it again. Please help me be better. Help me be a better pastor. Because I love your people and I love this place and I love what you do. I believe you change lives and you can change more than just what's here now. Encourage our hearts. We love you so. I thank you for this day. We pray that it doesn't rain the rest of the afternoon so we can actually enjoy Oregon. Thank you for it. We love you. In Jesus, we pray. And all God's people said, amen. Amen. Guys, thanks for coming today. Have a great afternoon.